We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so thankful that you listened to the show. Now, on to my guest for today, Bharat Kanodia, a professional appraiser who has a great YouTube channel called What's It Worth? In this episode, He'll demystify the appraisal process. Bharat graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering, but opted to go into the world of finance, where he learned about appraising. He has spent his career building expertise in appraising businesses, portfolios, real estate, and many, many more things. He also hosts a YouTube series where he gives insights into how business owners can assess and improve the value of their business. In our conversation, Bharat provides invaluable insights into how valuations are made, especially from a venture capital perspective. He jokes that he's one of the few people in the world getting paid to give his opinion, but he also follows a process and asks some key questions when doing his work. One key takeaway is that venture capitalists are really looking for when they value a business and why not all investors are going to come up with the same number. Now, let's get better together. Bharat Kanodia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jerry. I appreciate you having me. 
No, I appreciate it too, man. You know, it's interesting that what you do for a living is you evaluate what things are worth and you actually have a, a YouTube channel, sorry, uh, called What's It Worth, which has, I mean, I haven't looked at it. I looked briefly took a look at it, but what's really interesting is that nowadays it seems that everyone is trying to figure out what things are worth and you've been doing it for a very long time and done a lot of really great stuff. And so I want to talk all about that and what people can, um, how people can, you know, really start feeling better about that sort of things, because as an entrepreneur, that's usually a huge amount of anxiety when it comes to raising money or selling assets or whatever. But before we do that, like I always like to say, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to do what you're doing today? Um, Thanks, Jerry. You know, nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to be an appraiser. Um, you know, uh, this is not uh, a childhood dream type of a job. It's not, you know, like I'm an astronaut, but it's a pretty good gig. Um, you know, um, so uh, I graduated from undergrad college um, with an engineering, mechanical engineering degree. And when I graduated, I wanted nothing to do with it. I absolutely despised my degree. But, you know, be as it may, I was 21 years old with a mechanical engineering degree. But who's going to give a kid with an engineering background a job in finance? Well, I found one guy. Uh, and he became my boss. And he was just very kind to me. Um, so that's how the journey started. And I stuck with it. I was, turns out, I was half good at it. Um, so I've been in it for 20 years. Wow. So fellow engineer, I love it when someone starts off in like engineering and then sort of, well, you, you immediately meandered to what you were doing. It, it took me a little while to sort of meander to what I'm, I'm doing today, but I'm curious, you know, is there like a professional like certification or like, to be an appraiser? I mean, I hear like when you buy real estate, you know, you go hire an appraiser, which is the only experience I've ever had with that kind of thing, you know. Um, but but you mean you you appraise lots of things. I mean, it's not just homes. It's like pretty much anything and any transaction that may have a value. So can you take us through a little bit of that process and like what it's like and, you know, what do you do on a daily basis? It seems like nebulous, at least to me. So. Um, <laughs> good question. Um, so uh, yes, there are certifications to becoming an appraiser. Uh, there are no college degrees as such, but there are diplomas or certificates you can take. Um, there are many certificates available or designations from the American Society of Appraisers, from national, um, advisors, um, from, uh, certified valuation analysts, from, um, uh, appraisal Institute, there are many organizations. So, um, uh, uh, except for real estate, there really is no law that says that you need to have a designation to be an appraiser. If you think you can do an appraisal, you can do an appraisal. So if Jerry tomorrow hangs his shingle and says that I'm going to be a business appraiser, well, Jerry can, by God, become a business appraiser. There is no law saying that he cannot. Um, of course, there's a law saying that, you know, Jerry's got to do a good job. Jerry's got to know what he's doing. You know, we can't be just making shit up, which many people do. 
Um, so, uh, you know, that's how you get started in this journey. I mean, frankly, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm one of the few guys in the world who gets paid for his opinion. So I'm like almost like you know uh, 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 Roger and Ebert. Uh, oh right? yeah, Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, Siskel yeah, Siskel and yeah, Ebert. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. just critiquing movies, and I'm just <laughs> sitting there and I'm just going, "Hey, your business is worth this, and your business is worth this, or your domain name is worth this, or your building is worth this," and I got nothing to lose. I'm getting paid to do this shit, so it's it's, it's not a bad gig. Well, yeah, I mean. It must be sort of an interesting, um, well, you must see a lot of different things. Like there's got to be, I mean, nowadays, especially with like all this cryptocurrency and all of these assets that are digital. And, you know, I mean, just now as we're recording this, I think Bitcoin hit 50 grand, over 50 grand, right? I mean, this is insane, right? Like who would have thought? But more importantly, I think, people are starting to kind of realize that the, like the things they generate have value. And before, you know, that value is probably a little bit fuzzy, but, but it seems now that it's getting more and more as more and more marketplaces just pop up. I mean, look at how many altcoins there are in the world or just marketplaces for various goods and services. And I'm, I'm curious if, how do you see those new, you know, crypto as an example, like what, what is, is, how is that impacting what you do? I mean, is there a, is there even any correlation, or am I just like completely off base? Uh, you're not off base, but there really isn't much correlation. I mean, the question that you asked, I get I get that question at least once a day. What do you think Bitcoin is worth? I'm like, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> I don't know. It's true. I, you know, it's like, dude, I, I don't. I have no idea. If I did, I, you know, I, I, I might be on a yacht somewhere. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, exactly. But be as it may, the question that I ask is: When you buy Bitcoin, what are you getting? Hmm. Right. What are you getting? You're getting a little code, right? I mean, how is that different than? investing in a painting well with a painting you're at least getting a painting right, right? right you're at least getting something tangible with right. bitcoin what the hell are you getting i mean it's kind of like buying a domain name i mean what is a domain name worth i don't know i mean depending on what the other guy wants to pay for it right it's right true it's versus true. with a business you can say that okay what kind of cash flow that business gives or what kind of what are similar businesses going for i mean what's similar to bitcoin you know, there's nothing right now similar to Bitcoin. So Bitcoin can just make up any value it wants. And that's why Charlie Munger says it's rat poison. I don't know if it's rat poison. I mean, who knows? Maybe a year from now, I'll be biting my tongue when Bitcoin becomes, you know, $50 billion. Who knows? But sitting here today, outside of the speculation which is just a feedback loop that because one person does it, 50 other do it, then 5,000 do it, then 50,000 do it. Outside of that feedback loop, what else is there? You know, so I, I, I frankly don't see the value in it. Hmm. But that doesn't mean there is no value in it. I could be wrong. Right. Um, but as a appraiser, look, putting my valuation hat on, I, when I'm looking at a value of something, I'm looking at okay, what am I getting? Now, it doesn't have to be anything tangible necessarily, right? It could be intangible. 
um, like a domain name is intangible, a trademark is intangible, but you're getting something out of it. What are you getting with Bitcoin? Just because I buy it, so and I'm hoping if I buy it for a dollar, I hope Jerry's going to buy it for two dollars, and that's mm. why I'm going to invest in it. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that, that's very interesting uh, and astute observation. It's it, it, is that sort of at the crux of how things are evaluated and and, and appraised um, as a first order. I mean, of course, there's the market demand and there's scarcity and all these sort of things, but is, is that that sounds like that's the main like okay down to first principles, what do you get? Is that kind of the yeah. way it starts out? Okay. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. And that is how I've been able to appraise some of the weirdest or the unique assets in the world. You know, I don't take my eye off the ball. I keep my eye focused on the fundamentals. And as long as I'm focused on the fundamentals, I can't go wrong. Um, hmm. So that's how I've appraised some of the unique assets, like the Brooklyn Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, I've appraised the Port of Oakland. I've appraised, uh, you know, assets owned by the state of Hawaii. I've appraised the Alaskan pipeline. So how do you do all that? You do that by making sure you keep your eye on the fundamentals because the nuances keep changing, right? That keeps changing. But so long as you keep your eye on what's important, you won't go wrong. And Bitcoin, I'm yet to understand what's important. What, what am I buying there? <laughs> for yeah. example with with, yeah. with 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 tesla i know tesla is overinflated but tomorrow anything goes wrong i have a claim to tesla's assets right right, right, right. i have a claim to the cars the machinery the equipment the trademark that tesla owns right now again i might get pennies on the dollar which i understand but i don't even get that with bitcoin right i mean right. there's no scrap value either Oh yeah, true. Good point. Yeah, that's I didn't think of it that way. Like, yeah, what, what's the just the the bottom line, the bare metal? Like, this is it. You know, yeah. just just like a piece of property or another tangible asset, huh? And and so, so do you do you often get asked to like evaluate a startup? Like, so say someone's going to get uh, bought or get a new round of funding or whatever. Is it, um, is that a common thing to, to be like, okay, what's this startup worth? All the time, all the time. I mean, that's a big part of what I do. Hmm. All startups, they think they're worth 50 million bucks, <laughs> yes. you know, yes. and uh, every startup founder thinks that in six months, it's going to be a billion dollar company. And, you know, God bless them, because if they didn't, they wouldn't be doing that. Um, but I help them understand what value is. So say, for example, uh, many times I work with founders who may have received, say, they're lucky enough to, say, receive two offers. One offer is $50 million from Sequoia Capital. One offer is $100 million from uh, Mark Andreessen. Now, again, I'm not bad-mouthing Mark Andreessen. This is just an example. But just because and recent Horowitz gave you a valuation of a hundred million bucks. That does not necessarily mean that's good for you long term. So I help owners and founders understand um, how valuations work. And just because somebody gave you a high valuation doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing ever. Yeah, that's a, you know that's a really good point. I know folks that have gone through like Y Combinator, right? Mm -hmm. So Y Combinator, for those, I mean, everyone probably listening to this knows what it is, but basically it's an accelerator. And as you get out of Y Combinator, usually the evaluations are really high, like mm -hmm. 
almost absurdly high for what they are. Mm-hmm. But because you've got the cachet of going through Y Combinator, the, the value gets inflated. Um, similar, probably not so much with 500 startups or tech stars or whatever, but there is a certain amount of premium people will pay for a Y Combinator company. It, it is Once you've done like the fundamentals, like, okay, fundamentally it's worth this. It, are there like at premium adders that make it like, are, is it just one number or a range? Because when I've, when I've like, as the reason why I'm curious about this is when I've had that example where you've got two people wanting to invest in your company, they give you two different evaluations. It's really not the evaluation you want, but you know, like you've got two data points and if you let ego get in the way, then you're going to tend towards the higher one. But the thing is, is that what happens is if, if you have a higher evaluation, especially depending on the round, that means you got to perform that much better to get the next round <laughs> because it's, it's a game. It's like, there's a line and you, you got to follow the line. If you don't follow the line, you're going to get a down round. So do you have, you know, once the fundamentals are done, are there like special adders or something that, that kind of go into the final evaluation? Yeah. I mean, um, so this is really the trick to the game. You ready for this? The trick is VCs want to double their money each hand. Hmm. Good to know. Okay. They're they're like the blackjack players or roulette players just sitting there. They want to double their money each hand. And what is the hand in their way? Their hand is each round of funding. So in A, if the valuation is five million, well, B, the valuation better fucking be ten million. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, that oh, means good. you're not making me money, Jerry. Yeah, good point. Next good valuation point. is ten. Well, next one better be more than twenty. Yeah, they oh, want to double their money, and they will never tell you that. But if you ask them, this is the bottom line. Unless they're doubling their money they are not making money because 90, 95% of their investments go to dogs. Yeah. So the five to 10% that are making them money, they double down and they tell those guys that, all right, you know, whips on you boys. I'm going to make you money, but you better be doubling my money. And they put all their eggs in those baskets. They call all their friends and they're like, hey, Jimmy, hey, Johnny, you know, hey, Tom, let's invest in this. Let's make this happen. And then again, that's also becomes like a feedback loop, kind of like Bitcoin. They call all their friends. They call all their friends. All those Rolodexes come together. They call all their friends in the media. Those companies, those investors or those GPs, start calling all their other portfolio companies and asking them to buy stuff for them or partner with them or help them market more so that they all can together make more money. As I said, investing is a team sport. That's Mm. the team they're putting together. And each round, each hand, they want to double their money. So you've seen the show uh, Silicon Valley, right? Oh, yeah. So in that one, remember that there's one Indian CEO who's sitting at the bar and he's, you know, crying and he's gone oh well you know uh, well nobody oh yeah i got a down round and this and that and i didn't know i could take less money well yeah so you're <laughs> better off taking a lower valuation in the beginning mm-hmm. and setting expectations straight so say if you got a 50 million valuation from sequoia guess what they're expecting 100 million next time yeah exactly. if you got 100 million from mark andreessen guess what 
Mr. Andreessen wants two hundred million next round. Which one is easier? Yeah, Sequoia. Clearly, so go with clearly. Sequoia. Yeah, clearly. No, you you know what? I did not know that about the doubling, but now that you now that you mentioned it, now again, it's a rule of thumb. Now, some people might want triple. Some people want five times. Some people might say, look, you know, they, they can always come up with gimmicks. They might say, no, 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 I, I look for an IRR of 20% or 40%. The rule of thumb is each round, they want to at least double their money. Yeah. And and that makes a ton of sense because if, if, if you go do the economics, like you said, you know, 95% of the companies fail. Five to ten percent, roughly, are the ones that are the unicorns, or the one percent, or whatever that are super unicorns. And so, if if they look at their portfolio as they manage their portfolio, they're literally managing risks and they're playing they're playing a numbers game. At least it seems to me. When I've seen this stuff sort of plan out, it's like once you understand this, then as a, as a startup, you you do really need to really be very non ego driven when it comes to that first evaluation, knowing that two or three, you, you got to know the line, right? You, if, if, if you're is like, it's going to double, then if I've get a 3 million evaluation and the seed round, I need to do 6 million the next time. Then I need to do 12. I just need to keep on going or, or more. Right. Um, and it's so fascinating because a lot of young entrepreneurs will get very ego hit when they're like, Oh, this is worth more than that. And you're like, well, yeah, but look, think of the big picture, you know, like think of how, how is this going to play out? Like, how's the exit going to play out? How's the trajectory of it all? So that's really good advice. I really, super interesting because yeah, I never thought of the double every time. I like that rule of thumb. That's a really good heuristic. Um, so have you seen the show, The Profit? Yes, yes, yes. Great show. Yeah, great show. Um, in Profit, there was an episode where Marcus goes to a company in Silicon Valley. And usually he's all over the country, right? But when he's in Silicon Valley, that's the company he's dealing with. He goes to a company called Farm Girl. Hmm. Have you seen that episode? I did not. No, I haven't seen that. Interesting episode. Um, And this uh, entrepreneur, right? uh, You know, she has a flower delivery type of a business. the, The details elude me, but it's called Farm Girl. Anyway. And she was complaining to Marcus that, oh, God, she's having such a hard time raising capital in Silicon Valley because it's such a, you know, men-driven industry. You know, she's a girl. That's why she's not able to raise money and, you know, basically bitching to him. Mm-hmm. And Marcus, you know, he's he's a good listener. He's, you know, he's saying, okay, well, you know, let's, you know, he's he's impressed by her. And actually, frankly, it is quite impressive, you know, what she's put together, how she's leading our team. It was very well done. Um. So the next day they meet and Marcus makes her an offer. He says, I'm going to give you a million dollars raise for 25% of the company. Mm-hmm. So immediate valuation, 4 million bucks. Yeah. Right. She goes, no, I'll take a million dollars, but I'll give you 5% of the company. <laughs> immediate I- valuation. Yeah. $20 million. Yeah. No, I've, I've had this discussion. That's why it's so funny. Yeah. So yeah. the difference is Marcus is saying 4 million. She's saying 20 million and she's stuck with 20 million and he's stuck with 4 million. Right. And he goes to her now, whatever her name was. Do you think it had your business been in Indiana or Florida or someplace, you would have asked for these kind of crazy valuations like $20 million? valuation for a startup. And then she goes, 
well, no, well, this company, I know they raised this, this company, I know right, raised that, you know, I know this, but it's like, he's like, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. Look, all right, you know, let's not get into this. I will give you a million dollars for 20% of the company. So now he went from 4 million to 5 million in valuation. And then again, she starts again, like, no, well, when the company is going to grow and this and that. And then she says, all right, fine. I will take a million dollars for 10% of the company. So she goes from 20 million to 10 million. Now they're between 5 million and 10 million. They're pretty close, right? Yeah. And Marcus yeah. goes to her. He says, look, I understand that your expectations is that, but you want me to be interested in the company. At 5% or 10%, I couldn't give a rat's ass. Mm. And this is something most founders forget. Mm. They want the Andreessen, the Horowitz, or the Excel, or whoever GP they're working with, they want this GP to be interested in the company. See, for GP, (laughs) they don't get it. They, They swim in a river of money. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. For them, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million doesn't fucking matter. It's the same. To them, it could be the same number. Yeah. For them, what's important is to pique their interest. 5% is not going to pique their interest. 20%, yes, it will. Mm. So you want them to be interested. So you got to give them enough equity. This is the trick. You got to give them just enough equity to keep them interested in your company. Yeah. Kind of like how your girlfriend says, right? (laughs) You want to just give him enough that he's interested. True. I guess the same rule applies. Well, I mean, it's the same, same with anything. I think it's with any relationship. I mean, business relationship for sure. Um, Like you want them to have enough skin in the game so that they want to make sure it's successful. When you don't have enough skin in the game, you're just going to leave it to chance. Precisely. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of seed stage, um, firms and and funds do that because, you know, they put a small amount of money in and it's just, they just play the odds. And, and the thing that I found, I really like that you brought that up because, um, what the thing about venture economics that it surprised me when I learned this, and I, I didn't know this until maybe, I don't know, five, six years ago is that, you know, venture capitalists will take a partner, you know, they'll see maybe what, 2000 companies they'll take 200 meetings they'll they'll look they'll do a little bit of diligence on maybe 20 companies in a year they'll invest in two a year right 0.1% roughly so they're like wanting like you said they like I want to go in I got to deploy this money and I got to know that I'm you know I'm the you know I'm in um, and I think in, in, in one sense, I don't even really think the evaluation early on actually matters as much as getting the money in and building the growth. I mean, within reason, you don't want to give away everything. And like, you know, of course they then, you know, kick you out or whatever, but honestly, like get the money and run, just start performing. Cause I think no matter what you do, if you perform that, the later stage curve is what you're kind of trying to optimize for that, that seed stage when you have little revenue and, you know, who knows what it's worth. And it's like, you know, there's risk, you know what I mean? Like, but once you pass sort of like, Oh, I sort of got some traction. Then I think it's a little bit more stable, I guess. Or you know why that is? No, I don't. Because no. all you 
hear and see in the media nowadays is this company has raised so much money at so much valuation. They don't talk about what that company does, where it's located, how much revenue they have, how many people they employ. They don't talk about any of that. They just say they've raised $100 million at $2 billion valuation. And that really messes up with the early stage founder's head because that guy is going, oh my God, they just raised $100 million and they started two years ago. And this guy is offering me a $5 million valuation and giving me a half a million dollars. Fuck you. it, it, It doesn't register with them. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, again, this is such, I think it's like this emotional thing. Like, how do you, how do you just separate the emotions from it? Because this is one of the biggest problems I've seen, not only with seasoned entrepreneurs, not so much, but like with young entrepreneurs, boy, they get it in their head exactly what you said. And it craters them because they can't get over this emotional thing. What's the best way to sort of detach from the emotion of, of like an evaluation? The same thing is when you're picking your wife, right? If you've got a girlfriend and you keep going from girlfriend to girlfriend, you'll never you could be able to get married and settle down. When you're picking a wife, you just pick a wife and you go with it. So somebody's making you an offer. As long as you think it's reasonable, just take it, get started. Now, the trick is to find a partner, aka wife, right? Whichever way you take it, right? A venture investor is also a big part, and they're almost like your wife. They're going to become your family member. You're going to be seeing that guy a lot. So you want to work with the guy who's going to work with you. You don't want to work with the guy who's going to give you a $15 million valuation and then treat you like shit and say, hey, Jerry, you haven't done anything for me. I'm going to close you down. No, because look, things are going to go sideways. And when things go sideways, you want the guy to say, hey, you know, I know things are bad. What can I do to help? I know this, 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 this guy. Would that help you? So it really is other than, of course, the money that's important. It's really the relationship and how well, how much they're going to be involved. And so, so as like in, in, in the particular case of venture capital and, and startups, that, that seems like a very wise kind of heuristic to follow. I mean, I've, I've seen that with some of the investors in companies I've been with, the ones that are kind of fire and forget. Well, okay. They, you know, there's no, there's no there, there. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that way. Like you can kind of almost tell when it sort of gets to that point (laughs) where it's like, oh yeah, they're just going to abandon us. And okay, we're on our own. Uh, Is, is that, is that the way with other assets as well? Or, I mean, I guess maybe for other assets, it wouldn't matter as much, but I guess if you're going to, let's say you're going to buy into a company or you're going to, I don't know, like, for example, you know, uh, evaluating the port of Oakland, right? Like, why would you have, one, why would you have to do that? And two, what, what, what is, how does that all fit into <clears throat> like how someone would then work with the port of Oakland? Or I, I, I guess I'm a little, I'm just a little confused by some of, some of how this stuff works. So the way I describe venture capital to people, it's almost like energy. Right, people don't know what energy is, but people know it exists. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so venture capital—the value is really in the growth story. Hmm. 
Why will this company grow? How will this company grow? Who will make this company grow? By when will it make it grow? Growth. Growth Nobody cares about anything else. Growth, right. Profit only comes into mind when the company is close to IPO. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at other assets, growth really takes a back seat. When you're looking at anything real estate, all you're talking about is yield and earnings because real estate is zero, almost very low risk, fairly. Mm-hmm. So there, profit is really the key metric. With Port of Oakland, risk is really the key metric. I mean, they've got this huge machineries, people, goods, hazard material, with seas going up and down in open weather in San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, that's risk. So when I did the evaluation for the Port of Oakland, that was for insurance. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So I guess it just depends on what it's for. Exactly. Very much so. So for venture capital, you know, it depends on what is rewarded in that industry. In venture capital, growth is rewarded. Nobody wants to be running a company that, you know, grows at 15% a year. Eh, it's not gonna fly. No, <laughs> not not no, in yeah, you, not in no, not in not, startup land. <laughs> no. You say 15% a year to a salon owner, yeah, right, or a hotel owner, right? Or a mutual fund manager, you'd be like, holy shit, 15% a year. My God, that's awesome. Yeah. Definitely, no, no definitely, not adventure. Yeah, it definitely depends on the asset. Because again, their expectation is double. They need to double that money because they know 90% of them are going to fall off. So the ones that are working, they need to keep that engine going. uh, Have you ever had to evaluate like a venture fund because someone was going to take it over? Does that happen? I have worked with many venture capital firms um, and fund of funds directly where uh, the funds don't invest directly in companies, but they invest in other funds mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or I have invested, I, I, I have um, uh, evaluated say all the f- companies that a large venture capital firm like Sequoia or Kleiner Perkins have um, invested in the entire portfolio. Hmm. So I've worked on those kinds of valuations. Yes. And they're very interesting, you know. So, so for for example, if say, what's the hot company right now? Give me a name. The hot company. I mean, Tesla is a hot company. Or no, no, venture, venture, venture company. Um, let's see, venture backed, hot right now. Say Carta. Carta. Yep, Carta. Right. Good so one. Carta. Right. So Carta has say maybe I don't know twenty investors. Mm-hmm. Social capital is an investor. Now, social capital is looking at Carta from your point of view, so it sees the backside. Mm-hmm. Say if Kleiner Perkins is an investor in Carta, it sees the side view, right? Mm-hmm. Um, August Capital is an investor in Carta. It sees the top view, mm-hmm. right? And then another investor sees the front view. So it's the same company, Carta, but the four, five, or 10, 20 investors, how much ever they have, they can all have a different valuation for the same company. So the same company, the same object can have multiple vantage points or multiple valuations. So each of those investors may have a different number for Carta that they have invested in. And even, not, on, their, even on their balance sheet. Even like on their balance sheet. So it's not the difference of they own 2% or 5%. Assuming they all own, say, 5%. 
Right. That 5% is worth a different number on all of their balance sheets. And that is totally legal. That is totally okay. That is totally okay with the SEC. That is totally wow. okay with the AICPA. Wow. That is totally legal. How, well, how, so why is that? I mean, just, yeah, is man, it just because I, I, I just follow the rules. I don't make the rules yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, that's, that's fascinating because you're right. It depends on the perspective, you know, and, and I think perspective is a, big part of it. And, and I think as founders of, if you're, especially if you're venture backed, um, you always got to look at, okay, there's your perspective. There's the investor perspective. There's your friends and family around, there's your customers or whatever. And I think you're right. Like, that's a really good point that they're going to see it from different angles. That means they're going to either evaluate it at different, different ways. They're going to interact with it in different ways. And I think it's going to be based on what they value in it. It seems it seems to be that way. I'd have to think about that a little bit more because it's again, it's it's just such this nebulous black cloud, black cloud, like fuzzy cloud. <laughs> like, what is it? You know, how much is well, it worth? Well, think of a pickup truck, right? Some people buy pickup trucks to tow a load. Some people buy pickup truck because they can haul things in it. Some people buy pickup truck because it's comfortable. Some people buy pickup truck because it makes them feel big. Some people buy a pickup truck because everybody has a pickup truck. Right again, same truck but different vantage point. Yeah, true. true so enough. depends on why somebody's invested in that company. Why has this investor invested in Carta? Depending on their vantage point, they have a different valuation. As I always say, value is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, very good. That's a very good way to put it too. Because yeah, you you gotta you gotta almost understand it from everyone's perspective. That's a stakeholder in your company. Mm-hmm because they're definitely going to look at it from a different angle. So, so is this, is this the sort of stuff you talk about on your YouTube channel? No, no. So what, what do you tell us a little bit about what you talk about on the YouTube channel? So in my YouTube channel, I am educating everyday business owners. Okay. Your CPA practice owner, your construction business owner, your sign business owner, your e-commerce business owner, everyday business owners, I'm educating them on what's their business worth. Hmm. I am telling them what are the biggest trends in the business. I am telling them what are the rules of thumb of valuing their business. And I am telling them what are the two, three things they can do to maximize the value. So if they called me and said, Bharat, I want you to come in and appraise my business. I am telling them upfront that, hey, if you call me, I'm going to be looking at these two or three things. So you better clean up your shit in these two or three things. And that's how I can maximize your value. Mm-hmm. So I'm like the magician giving away the magician's code. <laughs> yeah, I've actually interviewed a magician before. This guy named uh, uh, was Dan. Yeah, Dan Chan, and it's pretty interesting because just the the way he he talked about you know why people love magicians and why billionaire he's the billionaire's magician and why they love him so much is because of this persuasion and like how optics and you know like the tricks he quote unquote does is more, it's not just a trick. It's a whole like experience, you know? So it sounds like, you know, as, as people like think about, okay, I'm going to either buy a business or sell a business or whatever. And I got to get it appraised. Um, it would, would those like couple of things that you mentioned for each type of business, do they change over time or is it just like, it's just, just like what the trends are. Yeah, it depends on what the trends are and depends on the business, right? Trends keep changing. 
Hmm. Like right now, one of the trends is automation, right? Yeah, right. Businesses need to automate everything. What automate what? Bill pay, paying paying their customers, pay, sorry, paying their employees, um, generating invoices for their customers. You know, everything should be automated. That's one of the trends right now. Is that for all all businesses? Of course, every business. The more you automate, the better it is. The less people you need, and the less errors you have. Um, and automation is cheap nowadays, right? Automation, you know, when people think automation, they're thinking AI and robots and stuff. No, it's not that. It's just SaaS softwares you can buy for $50, $10, $50, $100 a month. And that automates everything. That's true. That's true. I, I use, uh, for for my accounting, for my my, my firm, I use uh, Zero. And, uh, you know, I know I, <laughs> before that, uh, my late wife, Jane used to use a spreadsheet and I'm like, what are you like, what are you thinking? <laughs> but once we automated it, it was, you know, it takes me five minutes. It's super, super easy. And, you know, you can definitely see the value in that. And the, the, int- that's so, that's so interesting that. So each, so, so automation is a big one for everyone. I'm assuming that each individual industry will have its own kind of unique set because of course, of course it's what they value. Um, and, and that must be, I mean, you must, how do you keep up with all this? I mean, if you can, I mean, I, I think like if I looked at your site, you can pretty much appraise anything, right? I mean, see, it's, it's, I I look at things from a value lens. It's not like I know everything about everything, hmm. but when I'm looking through my value lens, I can tell that, okay, what's valuable in this business? So it's not like I'm, I'm an expert at every business, but I need to understand any business I'm evaluating within a very, very short period of time. And I am able to do that because I am looking at it from a unique valuation lens or perspective. So from that perspective, I can tell that, okay, what's valuable here? Hmm. So it's, it's definitely like, hmm. hmm, that's, is there, is there a particular way you can do that? Or is it just, just experience? I mean, and the reason why I bring this up is, you know, let's say you are like you're starting your business or you're running your own business and you kind of want to know, okay, what, what's the real value we have here? Cause a lot of, a lot of times like technical founders, as an example, they'll think the values in the technology, I'm a, like 99% of the time they're like, Oh, of course it's the tech. We're awesome. Uh, that's probably really not what it is. Um, just because tech is ubiquitous. Like you could do no code. You could do all sorts. I think like this, the clubhouse, um, company. They built their platform up with no code in like a week. I mean, that's the rumor, right? But what's the value, I guess, of, of Clubhouse? It's all these people come to it, right? So are are there are there like like rules of thumb on how to think of like, okay, what is valuable here? Yes. So there are three ways to value anything. One is you're looking at what kind of cash flow this business might provide me. Mm-hmm. Right. So you try to estimate all the cash flow this business might give you for the next two, five, 10 years. Right. And for each of the year, you present value that cash flow. Fairly simple. The other way of looking at it is okay, well, what are other similar businesses selling for in the market? Right. Kind of like what they call comps mm-hmm. when you're appraising houses. 
Or the third way is, okay, what might it cost to rebuild this business today from scratch? Okay. Right. So, which is called the cost approach, so to speak. So if I were to build um, Carta from scratch, what might it cost? You know, now again, there are three methods. Now, not all the methods are applicable to all assets and not all the methods are applicable to a particular purpose. So say if you're doing evaluation for insurance, well, what do you care what kind of cash flow it's going to give you, right? So it, it depends on the purpose and the asset. Okay. Yeah, because in the insurance example, it'd probably be cost to replace, I guess. Precisely. Precisely. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, yeah, they wouldn't really care about cash flow. Hmm. Cool. Well, this, you know, this has been really fascinating. I mean, never knew it was so involved and, and just so interesting to talk about. And so I really appreciate your time. It's just been just eye-opening. You know, I, I hope more entrepreneurs start thinking of it, this value lens, um, which I really like the way you put that, because if you can remove your ego and remove the emotion and you look at it from a value and then where you're going, then I think you're going to have a better one, a better time <laughs> and two, a, a rational evaluation. So, so thanks again for your time. It was really a great conversation. You're welcome, Jerry. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.